You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. My name is Adam McKeldry. I have the honor of serving on staff here as one of our pastors. And as Joshua mentioned before, we are going to be wrapping up this series that we've been in the last couple of weeks, where we've been talking about the fundamentals of discipleship. And then we're going to move on from the conversation that we've been having about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, to accept and to belong and contribute. And we're going to talk more about what it means to make disciples today. And this is a very vital part of what it means to be a biblical disciple of Jesus. And it's reflected in his last words. And I want to start our time today reading those words that he left his disciples with. So if you have your Bibles, you can jump over to Matthew chapter 28 with me. These are the last three verses. First service, I said two verses, but that's the wrong mathery. There's three of them. All right. Here's what Jesus says on his way out. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are his final marching orders to his followers. And they seem pretty simple, right? Like it's, it's straightforward. Just as you're going throughout the world, make disciples. Teach, teach them everything that he commanded and baptize them. But as simple as it seems on the surface, like I, I know that it's not. Like I have, I have struggled myself with being confused about this mystery of what discipleship is. And I've, I've seen others who have wrestled with it as well. You know, I don't think that the guys who are hearing this for the first time, though, are confused by it. Because the time and place that they are living in, first century Israel, in the Jewish culture, like, discipleship was a huge part of what they were doing in life. Like, for a, for a young man, like, you were training your whole adolescence. You were desiring with all you had that one day... A rabbi would look at you and he would see that you were good enough that he would invite you to be his disciple. And if you were lucky enough to get that invitation, then that meant, you know, you were not just going to be learning all the things that this rabbi knew, but you were going to be then trying to live as that rabbi lived. And they accomplished this by being with their rabbi every day, every possible moment that they could be. This is what the disciples got to experience. For three years, they got to walk by Jesus to see the things that he was doing, to hear the things that he was teaching. And so for them, when he said, go and make disciples, it made perfect sense. We're going to go out and make disciples of Jesus. But now in our time, in our culture, it feels like it's not quite that simple. And what I've noticed is it's not that quite sim- that simple, especially in the context of the church. I mean, if we have discipleship 
all over outside of the church. Now think about, like, if a person wants to become a surgeon or uh, a, a counselor or an electrician, like, there's this period where they have to go to school and learn all the things that they need to learn about that job. But it doesn't end there. They now have to spend time with somebody who is doing that job, learning from the way that they are being a surgeon or learning from them on how to properly put in an outlet. Like discipleship exists out in the job force, but for whatever reason, the same approach doesn't cross over into the church very well, at least from what I've witnessed and experienced. And I've grown up in the church, and, you know, for me, the thing that I remember seeing in the church growing up is that discipleship looked a couple of different ways. Like, when I was younger, it seemed like the church looked at that command that Jesus had to go out into the world to make disciples of all nations as this command to go out and just make sure that everybody has made the decision to to make Jesus their Savior. And so the process looked like was creating uh, uh, different organizations and conferences and revivals and door-to-door visits and equipping people to be street evangelists, all while going out and letting people know, like, you're lost without Jesus. You are lost in your sin. And our goal was to help them see their need for a Savior, and that Savior was Jesus. And after we achieved that goal... Then we sat with them and we prayed with them. We said, you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And after they had made that, we said, all right, you're saved. And now you're a disciple. And we moved on to the next one. And I've also been a part of a church where we've looked, they've looked at that approach to discipleship and said, you know, that is not cutting it. That's not, that's not enough. There's something missing here. Like we have to teach people more than just that Jesus is a savior. There's more to this whole God thing. And so we developed programs and we created classes and we came up with very creative names like Discipleship 101 and 201 and 301 and 401 and so forth. And we said, if you want to grow into a mature disciple of Jesus, what you had to do was to go to these classes And you were going to learn the things that Jesus knew. You're going to learn about who God is. You're going to learn theology. You're going to learn about church doctrine and and the, the correct way to think about these different aspects of God. And once you've gone through the whole program, poof, out comes a disciple. And for us to make disciples, it looked like us getting, making sure they got into that class so that the program would create them into a disciple. I'm not trying to bash this process of discipleship. I'm not trying to bash any churches or any of you who have experienced these things because I would be bashing myself. This is what I grew up in. This is what I understood for the longest time. And in principle, I think that these these things are not incorrect, right? They, They do describe some of the things that we've been talking about throughout this series, what it looks like to be a disciple, How you have to accept this message that Jesus died for you and he has something better for you. That you you are invited to belong 
and grow in your knowledge with, with, with one another in community. But alone, they're, they're incomplete. They're an incomplete picture of not only what it means to be a disciple, what I think what it really means to make disciples, the call that we have from Jesus. You see, for me, in my mind, discipleship is not just a transfer of information. That's what I experienced. Discipleship is a transfer of a lifestyle. Discipleship is not just a transfer of information. It is a transfer of lifestyle. Because that is what was modeled. That's what we saw in the first century, what the the disciples experienced. As they became disciples, they knew that it was not just to learn what their teacher knew. That was not the goal. Their goal was to live the way their teacher lived. To take all the things that they were learning and seeing their rabbi do and say and let those things change the way that they viewed the world, the way they interacted with one another in the world, the way that they prioritized their lives, the way that they set the purposes in their lives. And they had to go from their own priorities and purposes to those of their teacher, their rabbi. They were supposed to experience life the way their teacher did. Which is what we are meant to do as disciples of Jesus, to experience life the way he did. I love the way uh, author and pastor John Mark Comer says it in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He writes, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, if you want to be a disciple, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You know, maybe we can rephrase the command to go and make disciples like this. As you are adopting the lifestyle of Jesus, help others do the same. Help others experience and live out the lifestyle that Jesus lived as you are doing it yourself. But in order for us to do that, we have to know how Jesus lived, right? And where do we see that? Where are we going to be able to see how Jesus lived his life, how he decided to live out kingdom principles? In the text. We have four books back to back at the beginning of the New Testament that describe what it was like for him on earth, how he interacted with people, how he chose to disciple those he came across. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So let's start reading through them. We're going to just go through. We'll see how far we can get in the next 18 minutes. Get out your Bibles because we're going to do what we do in life group. Everybody's going to start reading as we go. I'm just kidding. The four, the four Gospels. Like you guys, you can read all four of those in a week. I've done it before. And I encourage you to do so. Because this is how you're going to see how Jesus lived his life, how he decided to disciple those that he encountered. For the rest of our time today, I want to just kind of highlight some of those things for you. Some of the things that stand out to me, some of that reflect the method that I think he used as he was discipling his, his 12 disciples, but even those that he would have chance encounters with. 
And I want to also highlight, like, what did that do for the people that saw it, that interacted with it? His 12 disciples, what did they do with that? Did they just leave it there, or did something change for them too? You know, as you go through these four Gospels, one of the things that you're going to notice right away is that Jesus loved to share. He loved to share lots of things with lots of people. And when I think about stories of him sharing with, with people, the, one of the stories that always comes to mind for me is that of the Samaritan woman. And if you don't know her story or this story of this interaction, you can read it in more in detail in John chapter 4. But I'm just going to give you the gist of it this morning. So Jesus and his disciples are on their way. Uh, I don't remember where they're heading, but they're going through Samaria, which is not a path that normally they would be taking. But Jesus never did anything on accident. He was very intentional with the things that he did. And as they're going through Samaria, they reach this well, and they decide they're hungry. So he sends his disciples into a nearby town to get food. And while he's waiting there, a Samaritan woman comes out in the middle of the day to draw water. And now there are a lot of reasons and justifications that he has to not interact with this woman. But that is not what he chooses to do. In that moment, he chooses to share his time with her. He chooses to share his life with her. And through the process of engaging with her and talking with her, they have this deep personal theological conversation where he's able to share new truths about who God is and what he is sending him, the Messiah, on earth to do. And this interaction with Jesus forever changes her life, and not, not just hers. Like She goes into her city and tells everybody, she shares the good news that she just heard. Many lives were changed that day because Jesus chose to stop and share his time and God's truth with her. And the disciples saw that. They just saw that interaction. They saw it happening all the time. And they didn't just let it die there. No, it changed what they did as well. It changed the way that they discipled those that they encountered. In Acts chapter 8, we have the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is told by God to go walk along this one path. And he overhears a eunuch, somebody who's kind of like the Samaritan woman, like you wouldn't necessarily think that he would want to engage with this, this guy. But as he's walking along the eunuch's cart, he hears that he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip decides, I know what I saw Jesus do. I'm going to do the same thing, and I'm going to go engage with this guy. I'm going to share my time. And then they have this conversation. They start talking about what it is that the eunuch is reading, and, and Philip has the opportunity to share the truth about what it is that he's reading, to share the truth about who he's reading about, about this Jesus. And this man gives his life over to him. He goes down and he's baptized right alongside the road. All because this is what they saw Jesus do. You're also going to see Jesus inviting people into connecting with him and with others. Obviously, you see that with the 12 disciples as he invited them to connect as disciples and follow him. But another story that comes to mind for me is in Luke 19, 
As Jesus is walking, he and his disciples are going through the city of Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. They encounter this guy named Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus, if you know the song, was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he in a tree. But not just that, he, he was a tax collector. And m- most of the tax collectors in this time, in this place in Israel, were Jews. And so fellow Jews did not like tax collectors because they felt like they were being betrayed. Because these tax collectors also were not honest. They stole regularly from their own people. So Zacchaeus probably had nobody in town that were his friends unless they needed something from him. And he's sitting in this tree just because he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. And as Jesus comes along the path and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, he doesn't see Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He sees a man who is longing to belong, who has no one. And so he's invited to connect with Jesus. And they go to his house and they have a meal And because of that time that they spent together, Zacchaeus, his heart has changed and he changes the way that he was doing business. All because he was invited to connect with him. That's just one example. But the disciples saw that and experienced it. And you can see it again and again in the book of Acts. I think about at the end of Acts chapter 2, after the the Holy Ghost has come upon the disciples in, uh, during Pentecost. And, and Peter gets up and he shares the new truth about who Jesus is to this huge crowd of people. And they're cut to the heart, the text says. And they're like, what do we do now? What do we do now with this new information? He's, he tells me, repent and be baptized. But not just that, come and connect with the family. Be a part of what we're building. Come be a part of this new kingdom that God is putting together. And they do. And over 3,000 people are added to that, their, uh, their number that day. And they start building this community of, that is taking care of one another, that is growing together. Not just in their knowledge and experience with God, but with one another as well. You'll also see how Jesus was very intentional about equipping his disciples, getting them ready for the day when he was finally going to be leaving. In Mark chapter 6, we see this story about it's not too long after he has called them, and so they've been going along with him, seeing how he teaches and how he interacts with people and how he's doing miracles. And in Mark 6, we see him send out the 12, two by two, like, okay, guys, I've given you some tools, now go use them. Go out into the villages around here and try this out. And they weren't ready to be completely released because the equipping wasn't done, and so they had to come back, and they spent some time going over how it went. And they continued to be equipped by him for the rest of the time together. And they took that experience, and they played it out in their own lives. You see this interaction, this thing happening in Acts chapter 6. Like I told you, everything was exploding. There was a ton of people that were coming into the community. And the disciples, they were like, 
We can't do this all on our own. There's too much to take care of. We can't focus on the teaching and prayer like we're supposed to. So they, they find seven guys and they appoint them and they equip them to take over some of the ministry. They continued to live out the things that they saw Jesus live out in front of them. The final thing that I want to mention about how Jesus discipled what you'll see in his life is the thing that we are talking about today. He released those disciples when they were ready. They probably didn't feel like they were ready, but it was time. He had equipped them. They got to walk life with him for three years. He said, now it's your time. Go make more disciples. Show people what I've, what I've done. Imitate the things that you have seen me do. Live the life of the kingdom of God like I have lived it in front of you. And there's lots of examples of this happening throughout the book of Acts, but I think about Barnabas. Barnabas, who wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but he was someone who was equipped by them. And when he was ready to be released, they sent him out and they, brought, they assigned somebody to go along with him, somebody who wasn't quite ready to be released on their own, a guy by the name of Paul. You guys know who Paul is, right? He didn't start off at the top of the food chain. Like he also needed to be equipped. And Barnabas used that opportunity to show him what this kingdom of God is like, helped him understand it, helped him to live it out like Jesus did. And when Paul was ready, he was sent out. And he did the same thing with people like Silas, Priscilla and Aquila, Titus and Timothy. I've only shared a very few of the Examples that you will see as you read through these Gospels and the book of Acts. How Jesus helps others to experience his way of life by sharing with them, by connecting them to him, by equipping them to have active parts of the ministry and eventually releasing them to disciple others in the same way. And we know it was an effective way to just make disciples because there are countless stories in the book of Acts of the disciples doing the same stuff, carrying on Jesus' method, carrying on his way of relational discipleship. And you can see the fruit of that throughout the book of Acts, throughout the rest of the New Testament, even in the letters. And we get to see that fruit today. Because of what they did, because of the work they did, we are here today. This is why we at Real Life, we, we are so passionate and believe so deeply in relational discipleship. Like we believe that's what Jesus modeled. We believe that's what he, he did and what he wanted to pass on. But for us, it's going to look different. It's not going to be the same look of discipleship that Jesus had with his disciples. Right? We're not going to be asked, going to people as they're fishing 
down to Spring Valley and say, hey, you want to come follow me? And then they just tag along with you for three years and you hope that they carry on the things that you teach them. We don't live in that time period. It's going to look different than the way Jesus did it. It's going to look a little different than the way the disciples did it. So what does it look like for us? What can that look like for us to make disciples the way Jesus did? Well, here's some suggestions. For us, as we saw Jesus sharing with people that he was interacting with and his disciples carrying that on, maybe for us, sharing looks like putting time to finally get coffee with that person that you've been avoiding. Or making the time to finally have that, the neighbors over that you've been talking for months and months about getting together and having dinner together. Maybe it's turning and actually saying hi to the parent that's sitting beside you at your kid's sporting event because God is asking you to just make time and space for an interaction with people because he might open the door to give you the opportunity to share new truths. New truths about who God is and new truths about that you are discovering as you are figuring out what it looks like to walk the walk that Jesus did, to live the way that Jesus lived. And when you think about how to connect people like Jesus did, like this one is fairly easy in the sense that hey, you can just be inviting people to a Sunday service with you. You're going to be inviting them to your, to your life group to find connection there or or maybe to a, a restoration night group. Come take this class with me. I, I really want to figure out how to have good, healthy conflict. Or maybe you just invite them to connect with a group of friends that are figuring this thing out themselves as well. And you just all come together and you go hang out and they begin to experience what it means and looks like to belong to a group of people who are trying the best they can to imitate Jesus. What does it look like to equip someone to minister, to, to serve, or to give? Well, you can, you can invite them to serve with you as you get coffee ready in the mornings on Sunday morning. You can invite them to come and be a part of your trunk that you're going to put together for the trunk or treat in a couple of weeks. Or maybe you can invite them to Make a meal for a family that is going through a difficult time. And not just stopping there, but inviting them to come with you as you go to deliver that meal and, and maybe pray and cry with the family that is going through that difficult time. Looking for ways to invite someone in to, to serve or give with you. Because as we do that, they get to to see this lifestyle that we are trying to emulate, this lifestyle that Jesus lived that is one that is about others, not about ourselves. You know, they say that uh, you can never lead someone beyond where you've gone before. Right? But that doesn't mean that you can't, that you have to be at the end of the path before you can turn around and help somebody. As I'm walking this path, as I'm learning each and every day what it means to to accept the mission of Jesus, to accept the call in my life to follow him, 
Like, I don't have to have it all figured out before I turn around to someone on the path who's behind me and say, hey, look what I just discovered about what God wants us to do. I'm trying to live it out. Come walk and live it out with me. Hey, look what, look what I got to experience as I got to connect into a life group. I feel like I've found my people. Come be connected with me. I got to serve someone this week by taking them a meal and praying with them. This is what I know Jesus did. Walk with me. We don't have to be at the end of the trail to be able to help someone along the way. But at the same time, like there are people on the other side of you who are further down the road that they're going to know things that you don't. And it would be wise to maybe ask them for their help. Hey, I'm having a kid for the first time. I have no idea. They don't come with an instruction manual. What do I do? Hey, my finances are a wreck. I see that you seem to have that stuff figured out. Can you help me? Hey, man, it looks like you are always in the word and growing in your knowledge and you just look really connected to God. Like, can you help me do that in my own life? Last year when I, was, I got the privilege of going on a study trip, our, our teacher at the beginning told us about, he's like, it's very important in life to have somebody discipling you, not just be discipling. Like, you need someone pouring into you as well. You need a mentor in your life. That was at the very beginning. Two weeks later, the whole time I thought to myself, I really respect the, this guy. I respect the way he teaches. I respect the way he tackles the text and, and just learns about the cultural context of what the Bible is, is, is doing. And I felt like I'm, I should probably ask this guy to do that. Help me with that because I don't feel strong enough in there in these areas. And it wasn't until we were in Tel Aviv at the airport on the way out of Turkey. I said, hey, I really respect the way you do these things. Would you be willing to mentor me in this? Fully thinking there was no way he would say yes. But he did. And I've had the honor of of working through with him on this stuff. Helping me be a better person, uh, a better digger into the text and learning cultural context, helping me be a better teacher of God's word. Hopefully he has been, I don't know. You guys have to tell me. But it was because I knew the importance of growing, not staying where I'm at. That is what discipleship is. It's okay to be where you are. It's not okay to stay there. We need to grow. And we grow by having those ahead of us on the path pour into us and we get to pour into those who are behind. That is what discipleship is. Helping people experience the lifestyle of Jesus each and every day. I have a a quote I want to end our time with today. It's from a guy named Bruce Demarest. Bruce was a, a theologian and professor at the Denver Seminary until he passed a few years back. And this is what he says. He says, what the evangelists, the writers of the Gospels, recorded in the Gospels was the sweat, 
blood, tears, and elation they experienced with Jesus. Fishermen and tax collectors came to Jesus, listened to his teachings, witnessed his works, and observed his devotion to the Father. The theology of Jesus in the Gospels is rather thin, but their experience of Jesus is rich, so strong and convincing, in fact, that it prompted them to lay down their lives for him. Experience changed them from timid, lukewarm followers into tenacious, blazing disciples of the risen Lord. Experience changed them. What, what did they experience? They experienced the life of Jesus. The way he chose to live. And it was a life that was worth imitating. It was a life worth passing on. And because they didn't just experience it and leave it, but they passed it on, we are sitting here today. And now it's our turn. It's our turn to keep that life that Jesus lived going by living it ourselves, inviting others to experience it with us as we go. As we go, make disciples. We're going to go to our time of communion now. Each week we get the opportunity to, to celebrate and remember this moment in Jesus' life. It seemed like his life just kind of culminated in this moment and the moments after. All the things that he had been doing, all the way that he was living, the way that he was inviting people in. He said, this is what I'm about to do for you guys. There's no greater love than what I'm about to show you. This is the kind of love you need to be willing to show those around you as you go and make disciples. It was on the night that he was betrayed that he took the bread and broke it and he gave it thanks. And he gave it to his guys. He said, do this in remembrance of me because this will be my body that is broken for you. Let us remember the sacrifice he made for us. And after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us remember together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus here for the work that he did, Lord, in his life, for the work that he did on the cross and and in the tomb. Lord, but I also thank you that he lived, that he lived what it, lived out for us what it means to be a disciple of you. That he lived out what it means to experience the kingdom that you are, are ushering back in. Lord, that is not really a mystery for us. You've given us so many great examples of how he loved people through sharing and connecting and equipping them and releasing them. Father, thank you for the the privilege and the honor that you've given us as his disciples to carry that on. Lord, please give us the boldness and the courage to step out and intentionally 
make disciples in your name. And it is in that name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.